Hello and welcome to I Want to Like You, a weekly podcast from Real Simple about how to handle the irritating people in your life with goodwill and with grace. I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop. I'm the editor of Real Simple. And with me today are Dr. Gwendolyn Seidman, who is the chair of the psychology department at Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania, and Pamela Iring, who's the president and owner of the Protocol School of Washington. Welcome, both of you. And Pamela, welcome back. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you. So today we're talking about oversharers. I think my my first perplexing experience with an oversharer was I was it was a few years ago. It was actually probably more than a decade ago, and I was riding the subway with a brand new colleague who I had just met, you know, earlier that week. We were working at Vogue magazine and we lived in the same neighborhood. And so our subway ride was probably we lived we lived in Brooklyn, was probably a good 40, 45 minutes long. And she was going through a divorce. And she I didn't really know this woman and she, we spent the subway ride. It was totally fascinating, but with her telling me this really, really involved, detailed, kind of intimate story of her divorce and why she was getting divorced and the woman that her husband was having an affair with and what that woman looked like. And, and I was just, I think, wide-eyed because I thought, okay, I don't, I don't really know you and I don't really know why you're telling me these things. And so, but, and she's a lovely, lovely woman and we went on to become good friends. But I, I, the next morning, I mentioned to my boss, who, all, who worked with both of us, that this woman had told me this kind of personal, long story. And my boss said, well, I think she's just working through it. Like, I think, I think for her, talking about it is her way of working through it. And I thought of this then last weekend when I watched the movie St. Vincent. Have either of you seen the movie St. Vincent? Yeah. No, no. I have. Okay. It's great. It's a great movie. And there's that one scene, I don't know, Pamela, if you remember this, where Melissa McCarthy is at the school and she's talking to, like, the priest and the monsignor and talking about her divorce. Maybe this, is a, maybe this should be a podcast about divorce. And <laughs> she's saying how, why she's getting divorced. And then she launches into, goes down this long rabbit hole of... She couldn't get pregnant. Maybe it was because her fallopian tubes were twisted because they were repulsed by the thought of her husband's sperm because he was such a dirtbag. And, and the priest and the monsignor are just looking at her, you know, in, in, in kind of, they're speechless. But maybe she, like my former colleague, was just working through it. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. I want to, Pamela, I want to, if you could hold for one second, I want to, I want to ask Gwendolyn, since Gwendolyn or Gwen, I'm going to call you Gwen, you're the psychologist <laughs> in the room. Is that true, that sometimes oversharing is people, quote-unquote, working through something? Like, what's the impetus there? Well, it's kind of interesting because there are a lot of reasons why somebody might overshare. Uh, what's interesting about your story is that uh, it reminds me of something that's sometimes called the strangers on a train phenomenon. When people mm -hmm. meet somebody who's a stranger on a train or a plane, and they spill their life story and reveal all sorts of things that might normally be socially inappropriate because they think they're not going to see the person again. Although what makes right. your story different is that she's your new colleague. So she, <laughs> it would not be the norm for her to be treating it like a stranger's on a train. But I don't know if she sort of fell into that mode. But yeah. um, it might have sort of kicked in because she didn't really know you and maybe wasn't really thinking about it. But I think a lot of people do actually have that need you know, to reveal things about themselves. They want to feel accepted by other people, that sort of thing. I think that's actually a big 
motivator for that kind of thing. I think it can be a way to connect with people, especially if you feel like those are things about yourself that maybe you haven't had much of a chance to reveal to other people. So it could be mm-hmm. that maybe some of her friends or family members don't approve of the divorce so she can't talk about it as oh. freely or something like that. You know, so she might feel like here's a chance to just get it out. Not that I know if that applies to her specifically, but that can be something that makes people more inclined to share when they can because they feel like they're not able to do it in mm-hmm. other situations. Well, let's go back to the accepted thought for a second. How does the impulse to overshare come from a feeling of wanting to be accepted? I'm having trouble making that connection. Mm. Uh, Well, I think it's that you feel like you want people to accept you for who you are and what you've experienced. Warts and all. Yeah. Yeah, kind of warts and all kind of thing. So usually, you know, in most sort of social interactions, uh, you don't necessarily reveal everything about yourself. And some people are more likely to hold back than others, but you don't necessarily reveal everything. And so if you're able to reveal everything and say, hey, this person's still, as you said, worth it all, likes me, accepts me, Mm -hmm. then I can feel better about myself. I can feel better about those warts that I have because somebody's accepting them. Uh, If you don't reveal much about yourself, you can imagine an extreme where, you know, you play it really close to the vest. You're likely to feel sort of insecure about yourself because you don't have mm-hmm. that, that validation from other people. Pamela, where are you on the oversharing spectrum? Do you have, are you often a victim? Do you do it yourself? Like what's, do you have any bad oversharing experiences that you can share or overshare with us? <laughs> you know, I, I'm definitely a relationship person in my communication style and I like people and I enjoy conversation and I travel the world. So I'm always with people and I seem to be more of the, quote, victim of <laughs> the oversharing because I'm, I'm sensitive to sharing with people I don't really know. You know, conversate, I'm good at, I, I feel I'm very good at small talk and conversation, but I don't have to share, I'm very cautious sharing too much unless I, I need a solution. And I think that with the oversharing can sometimes people share too, in my experience, for either sympathy uh, they're looking for sympathy or, you know, talking it out, like you had said and, and what Gwen had said, but also to find solutions, especially with us women. I, we're very good networkers, and mm-hmm. we tend to ask, you know, share a little bit more about our personal life because we're looking for solutions and resources. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I have been more of the victim where it was just too much. I had... Uh, someone that was just sharing too much about a a divorce and family issues, and it was consistent and habitual to the point where it wasn't just me, it was with others, and it was just too much, and I had to address it with her because it it was very uncomfortable. I did not want to know those particulars. We weren't like friends. We had a working relationship, and I, I, I think it came to the point where I needed to sit down with her and just say, let's have a chat about this and Here's what makes me uncomfortable. And I think that's what you have to do is if, if they're oversharing too much and you're getting uncomfortable, there's ways to get around that. You could, if it's short, you know, like you might not see the person often, use your mm-hmm. facial expressions, you know, use, you know, raise your eyebrows. You know, by raising your eyebrows and, and then maybe turning away and not engaging in the conversation, maybe you can turn it off. Well, when you sat down with that, with that colleague and said... I'm uncomfortable. Did how did that conversation go? Was that 
Was that message received well? Did her, did that person's behavior change? It did. It actually did. And at first, I think there was some confusion, like she didn't realize how much she had shared. And then when I reiterated some of the points that she shared that were making me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. she apologized quickly for that, mm-hmm. and we went on. And uh, in future times, she would just maybe bring up a little something, but she'd let it go quickly. It wouldn't be mm-hmm. in great detail or, or in deep conversation about that area in our life that's causing her issues. I mean, I don't want to be cold and not be sensitive, but at the mm-hmm. same time, when you're uncomfortable, you have to let them know. Why, do, as humans, why does oversharing make us uncomfortable? Why does listening to someone else overshare sometimes make us uncomfortable? Like, why? Why would that make you uncomfortable? Well, in general, people are actually going to get uncomfortable anytime somebody is violating whatever our social norms are, right? So, for example, there are social norms about in different cultures about how close you should stand to a person when you're speaking to them, right? So, if somebody, mm-hmm. you know, as an American, right, somebody stands five inches from your face and is talking to you, you're immediately really uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. they're they're not acting right, right? They're not following the sort of social script that you just automatically follow. Like, you probably don't even mm-hmm. think about it. You walk up to a person, you don't get five inches from their face. That's just not mm-hmm. how you act. It's automatic. So when mm-hmm. somebody's violating something that is sort of ingrained in you like that, it immediately makes you uncomfortable. And typically, mm-hmm. the way that sort of self-disclosures work in relationships is they're gradual. When you first meet somebody, you, know, you talk about more superficial things. You gradually increase to more topics. You gradually get a little bit more personal. And then once you're close to the person, then you know obviously they're going to talk about all sorts of personal things. So if someone's mm-hmm. violating that norm, you're kind of thrown for a loop. This isn't right. This isn't how this interaction's supposed to go. And then suddenly you're not sure what you're supposed to do because you're not you know, in, inside of that sort of normal loop of social interaction that you're used to. And you know, there mm-hmm. are certain things like strangers on a train, if it was really a stranger, um, where those norms don't always apply. And so suddenly people can be more comfortable disclosing or receiving those kinds of shares from, from mm-hmm. other people because in that situation it's okay. Or in like an anonymous online environment, people will actually often reveal lots of personal stuff because somehow it's all anonymous, they feel okay, they're not uncomfortable doing the same thing that they'd probably be very uncomfortable with in a regular face-to-face social interaction. I have to confess that that I come from such a massive oversharing family. My dad, and I wrote about this actually a little bit in my editor's letter when it was June and it was Father's mm-hmm. Day. And my, fa- my father will talk to anybody and he will tell them anything. I mean, there are certain places where he won't go, right? He doesn't talk about his sex life. He doesn't talk about money. But he will tell a stranger anything else, we- frankly, whether they're interested or not. And, Sounds like my and mother. <laughs> I, and I think, and my children would tell you that I've inherited this really same, sometimes quite awful tendency. But, you know, is that, when you look at people, and either one of you kind of jump in here, is oversharing an imposition on your listener? Like, is oversharing a way of connecting, or is it really, um, is it kind of selfish, I think oversharing, to some extent, is good. I I don't think there's anything wrong with it until the other person feels uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So when you're, some people are very direct, and they 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 tend to just talk very directly. Look at Trump on the the GOP (laughs) debate last night. Oh my God! I was like 
freaking out a little bit because it, it was just too direct, especially for my communication style. But at the same time, sometimes I've had others that shared that I didn't know on a plane, and I'm on a plane a lot too, and it's been okay. I mean, I, if, I, if I've helped them in some way just by listening and I was not uncomfortable then to me, that's not oversharing, that's just talking. But if mm-hmm. it's a point where I think they're coming on to me or they're sharing things on that crosses my norms that I don't prefer, or if I recognize it's cultural and can deal with it, no problem, because I've had that happen too from the cultural standpoint. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think oversharing is, unco- you know, unless it's uncomfortable that is a problem of, of speaking with people. I don't want us to, I hope in the United States we don't get so individualistic that I can only communicate by text, text messaging or, or sending you an email. I still like people interaction. And maybe there's times when someone needs to talk something out. And if you're okay with it for a little while, you know, mm-hmm. talk to them or at least be a listener. But if mm-hmm. it's uncomfortable, you got to shut it down because it'll upset you and you don't want to be upset with the person, especially if you know them. Gwen, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I agree that in and of itself, you know, disclosing stuff about yourself isn't necessarily a problem, but if it does create social issues. So, you know, we were just talking about this a minute ago, right? Pamela was saying how if you're personally uncomfortable with it, then that sharing, you know, isn't good. Or if you are the oversharer yourself and the person that you're talking to is being made uncomfortable by what you're saying, then it's a problem. I guess it can be a problem if you're an oversharer and you're not very good at reading other people's signals that they want you to stop. (laughs) Right, exactly. Like, how do you know, you know, that, that, the other person's uncomfortable unless they come out and say, I'm uncomfortable with what you're telling right. me. Because some people can read these subtle nonverbals, like some of the examples Pamela was giving, you sort of look away, you look less interested, mm-hmm. and then they say, oh, okay, I shouldn't be saying this to this person, they move on. But mm-hmm. there are people who don't pick up on mm-hmm. some of those signals and they just keep going. And I think, I think if you're an oversharer who's bad at reading people, I think that could be not a very good combination yeah. for you socially. There's a show, a movie called The Kid with Bruce Willis. It's a Disney film many years ago. I think it was in the late 80s. And he's on an airplane, and this other woman was sitting next to him. And he was trying to ignore her with her body, his body language, no eye contact, body towards the, the airplane's uh, window. And she just kept talking. And what do you do? You know, and asking all these questions. And he finally said, I'm an image consultant. And she goes, oh, you give people makeovers, you know, <laughs> talking. And he just drilled her and said, well, your eyebrows are too big, your hair's too, your makeup's too orange, you know, all these things in like five seconds and shut her down. And he said, now will you sh- please shut up? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> great movie. Uh, but that just reminded me that, you know, some people will tell you directly if you're being too abrasive right. or too oversharing. Yeah. And we'll say, will you please, I, I have a headache, or I, I really don't want to talk about that. And I think that's what you have to do if it's yes. to that point, is to let them know, you know, that is, that is too personal to share, or I don't discuss my salary except with my accountant, or mm-hmm. I don't discuss sex except with my husband. You know, you <laughs> have to share that with them. I, I had that happen with a when Obama was running and I was overseas, and, and they'll talk about politics, and they'll come right out and ask you, hey, who are you voting for? <laughs> right. Well, right. We, uh, I, I said, well, we usually in the United States don't tell people who we're voting for. 
and they kept persisting. And I finally said, well, I'm not sure yet. I, the, you know, I'm, I'm still watching the candidates. You know, I had to get out of it. Although yeah. I knew who I was going to vote for, I just didn't want them to know. It's not their business. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So, Gwen, I know, I know you study, uh, you know, some of your work involves the Internet. Yes. I'm not sure to what capacity, but Pamela raised kind of an, it, just as an aside, mentioned earlier, you know, our culture these days and this, uh, or maybe you said it, I think Pamela said it, about kind of, you can do anonymous oversharing online and, and uh, so many people do it and it feels like an easy spot to, you know, to air your grievances or tell your story, et cetera. Do you feel like social media or blogs, et cetera, have influenced kind of the level or the tenor of oversharing in our culture? I think they have. I mean, what's interesting about internet communication is actually how much it's changed in the you know, very, very short amount of time that you know, we've actually had the internet. The internet's only been you know, really common for maybe 15, 20 years if you stretch it, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, in the olden days, meeting people online meant, you know, these news groups and chat rooms and everything was super anonymous and you didn't even know what people looked like unless maybe they had a scanner and they could scan a photo of themselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's like my college students, that sounds totally insane. I know, they're probably uh, like, what's a scanner? <laughs> yeah, what's a scanner? <laughs> uh, whereas now it's kind of the opposite of anonymous. So I think a lot of that's, that's really changed. It used to be, oh, I'm totally anonymous, I can say anything. And there are still anonymous venues online. There are still everybody's favorite thing, comments sections on articles, mm-hmm. which are anonymous. And sometimes, sometimes you can get really bad stuff with anonymity. People will let out negative things they don't usually say. Anyone who's read a comment section knows what I'm talking about there. Mm-hmm. Yes. But you can also sometimes, if you're connecting one-on-one with a person anonymously, feel more comfortable and it can actually be a very positive thing in a way to sort of build intimacy with a person, especially for people who are inhibited in their regular lives, people who are socially mm-hmm. anxious, that sort of thing. I think with social media, it's kind of changed because it's, it's the opposite of anonymous if there's such a thing, right? So mm-hmm. now, you know, a person I meet in a bar knows less about me than a person who, you know, looks at, at my social media account in some cases mm-hmm. because there's mm-hmm. just so much information there. But I do think it still has that a couple elements of the, the online part, which is that there's a certain distance between you and who you're communicating with. So you're not seeing people's immediate reactions to things. And so that might sometimes lead to people putting things up on Facebook that they think sound good and they don't really see how others are reacting. And so if they're not that good at predicting reactions, they may end up saying something that is inappropriate. Well, going back to St. Vincent, Melissa McCarthy, you have to see the movie, Gwen, and then I'll, you, know. <laughs> you will. So, but they, w- these aren't really spoilers I'm giving, but, uh, but okay. you know, the, when, when her son says to her, she, when, she, when she says something to him, like, how did you know that's why your dad and I broke up or whatever? And he said, well, because you told Aunt Ruth and you told this one and you told that one, and it's on your Facebook profile. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so anyway, all right, I, I'm afraid Facebook could take us in a whole other direction of oversharing. <laughs> But then we'd need about another hour for this podcast. So I think we're going to have to wrap it up for today and maybe revisit specifically Facebook another time. So Gwen and Pamela, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks for having me. You're welcome, Kristen. Thank you. And thank you, Gwen. Our producer is Tim Einenkel. Please let us know what you think of the show. 
Our Twitter handle is at Real Simple, or you can tweet ideas of the irritating people in your life, and that I will address them in future podcasts directly to me at KVanOgtrop. For more on irritating people and how to handle them, go to realsimple.com, and please subscribe to us in iTunes. For Dr. Gwendolyn Seidman and Pamela Iring, I'm Kristen Van Ogtrop. Thanks for joining us.